The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue in our series on the book of Job, we've come to Elihu, who is the fourth friend of Job. You may recall that the first three friends were called miserable comforters. Elihu didn't participate in their initial assaults on Job, but beginning in chapter 32, Elihu engages in the longest assault upon Job. Essentially, Elihu's response is, hey, y'all need to listen to me because I have all the answers. Join us today as we see who Elihu is, and we begin to see what he is doing in attacking Job. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Tonight, if you'll turn to the 32nd chapter of the book of Job, we're moving into a different phase of this book. Now, I realize we've skipped over a verse-by-verse commentary on much of the book of Job, but the reason that I feel like that's the appropriate thing to do for our study here at least is that most of it is repetitious. Most of, most of it is a rehash of the same old arguments by his miserable comforter friends. And there, is some good, there are some good thoughts by Job scattered throughout his response and his defense of himself. But um, we're about to see the summation of Job's defense right here and how um, I don't believe this is just Elihu's summation because it doesn't say this is what Elihu thought. I believe it's, it's a fact that the Lord prompted the writer to pin down. And, and so we're going to see the summation of what Job had to say. Job was right in many ways, but he was wrong in some ways too. And you remember we, we talked about one of the themes of this book is pride. And, and we talked about God's pride. He was proud of Job. He was, he's proud of us when we do right. But, but the other negative side of that pride is Job's pride. And we've seen some of it slip through. We talked about it last time. And by the way, we also saw that Job had a great hope that we don't need to, we don't need to be too hard on him. He knew where his hope lay. It lay in the sacrifice of Christ. He didn't know his name. He didn't understand all the details, but he said, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he does. I know I need a Redeemer. <laughs> he wouldn't call him a Redeemer if he didn't know he needed one. But he said, he's coming to get me one day. And he didn't get all the details. Praise God, we live on this side of the cross with this book we call the Bible to guide us. We now have many of the answers the old prophets didn't have, but they had a great hope that had not been realized in the sense of the Lord coming yet. But tonight I want us to move into chapter 32, and we're going to look at chapters 32 through 37, probably not all tonight, but over the next couple of meetings. And this is a young man named Elihu responding to everything that has gone before. Now, we're at a point where Job has finally gone silent. His friends have finally gone silent. And a real important fact we don't need to miss, God is still silent. God hadn't said anything yet. So, you know, I, I find it comforting and also chastening sometimes to remember that God speaks when he gets ready. You know, he doesn't, we don't, we're not going to hasten his timetable. We're not going to trick him into doing something or tempt him into doing or saying something. You know, we saw that at the very beginning, didn't we, that the devil himself tried to tempt God. He said, Lord, you reach out and touch him, and he'll curse you to your face. And guess what happened? God didn't take the bait. He said, all he's got's in your hands. But, of course, he put the boundary as to beyond which he could not go. That's also very comforting to me, too. But here we have the men who have been talking have gone silent. And notice in verse 1, these, so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now that's a bad place to be. You know, we said we're not going to be too hard on Job, but I don't believe this is an opinion by one of these men, and I don't believe it's an opinion by Elihu. This is stated as a fact. And this is a summation of both the pride of Job 
and the failure of the so-called wisdom of his friends. Notice that they both stopped speaking because really there wasn't anything left to say. They weren't going to move Job from his own self-righteousness and his position. And again, Job got some things right. But, but he, as the more it went on, the worse he got, you see. And that, that also kind of happens to us. And, you know, under, under stress, the weaknesses show up. It's like when you take a chain, a, a chain that's a bunch of links, and you put it under stress, you, start, you, you hook one end to uh, a tra one tractor and another end to the other tractor, and you start pulling it. What's gonna, where's it going to break? It's going to break at its weakest point. That, you know, the weakest link is going to break. Well, that's what's happening to Job, and that's what happens to us under stress. Wherever we're the weakest, we begin, it begins to seep out. Job's weakness clearly was pride. He, he, was, he thought a lot of himself, did a lot of good things, and was super righteous, but he had some pride. So now Elihu comes on the scene, and he begins to speak. Now, who is Elihu? Let's, let's talk about that first here in chapter 32. Notice, uh, notice here that in verse 2 it says, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram. Okay, he gives us, really he's the only one here whose pedigree is given, but we're given his pedigree. And I don't know if it's, you know, what the purpose of that is, but I know there's a purpose but maybe it's just to, to sort of explain who he is and that he was someone in this area. He was someone that knew these elders. And, and we're told that he was, you're going to see that he was younger. He let his elders go first. He was obviously a considerate person. He, he realized his place. He realized he was the youngest. And in that day, it would have been inappropriate for someone young like that to, to sort of leapfrog over these older supposedly wiser men to try to deal with this situation. So he knew his place somewhat. And he also knew something that you don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, mark down Proverbs 18 and verse 13 and remember it in your own life. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. In other words, if you jump to conclusions, you're going to mess up. It's folly and shame to you. You've been there before? I have. I remember I learned a great lesson early on as a, as a boss, as a supervisor. I, somebody came in my office and said, so-and-so's doing this, and, and it's, it's harmful to the office. I'm, I'm going to put a stop to this. I go to so-and-so, and I sit them down, and I jump all over them. Come to find out, so-and-so wasn't really doing that. <laughs> there was another side to the story, you see. I learned the lesson of don't answer a matter before you hear the whole thing. Listen to all the evidence, you know, and that's, that's one thing in court that we try to do. We want to hear the whole side of the story. I knew a judge one time who had a fault, and the fault was not that he was crooked or corrupt. It's just that if you got to him first and put your case on first, it locked him into that side. You, you just knew that about that particular judge, and, and you always wanted to be the plaintiff. You always wanted to be the one that got to put your case on first, see, but you, don't, you shouldn't do that. That's not the way it is. That's not the, not the way it's supposed to be. I, I, I'll share one other thing with you about court that I thought was really uh, a really um, uh, effective way for a criminal defense attorney to approach a case. And it's a really effective way for you and I to remind you and I of, uh, of the fact that we need to hear all sides of the situation. This particular defense attorney got up after I'd made my opening statement in, in some kind of criminal prosecution. I don't remember who it was or what the, prosecu or what the case was about. 
But he held out his hands to the jury, and he walked around. And he said, "He said, I want you to look at this. You see my hands? You see my hands?" And he, he showed the jury his hands, and he said, "You don't see my hands. You see the palm of my hands. There's another side to my hands." He said, "I'm asking you to wait to hear the other side." So think about that in our lives. That's a good point, isn't it? You think you've seen it all, but you've only seen one side. See, so. Here's what Elihu actually got right. He, he waited and he listened to all of these sides. And we're going to see, he gives the longest speech so far. And in his speech, it's going to be clear if you read it and compare it to the other speeches that he had carefully listened to the arguments and weighed them and even quote some of them back to them. And his speech is the better than the others in my humble assessment. But he's still not getting it all right. He's still not getting it all right. His purpose appears to be essentially to persuade them that they were all wrong about their view of God. And in a minute we'll see he even presumes to speak on behalf of God. So let's start breaking down. We'll probably, I don't know if we'll get through more than the 32nd chapter tonight, but we're going to at least try to get through it. Verse 1, so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited until Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzite, answered and said, I am young and you are very old. Wherefore I was afraid and durst not show you my opinion. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. I'm going to stop right there because the first thing I want us to see about Elihu is that Elihu was angry. Elihu was angry. Four times in these first five verses we read his wrath was kindled. And the reason his wrath was kindled is because neither side had the right answers. Now, you know, Job justified himself rather than God, we've already seen. And the friends had no answers for Job and condemned him unjustly in many ways. And over in verse 15, you don't, well, it's there on the page, uh, we're told that they answered no more. You know, they've gotten to the point where they've, they've clearly, clearly given up. Now, verse 12 said, Yea, I attended unto you. Behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words, lest ye should say we have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. He's criticizing them because they couldn't come up with the right answers, and the answer they came up with wasn't right. They're saying God thrusts him down and not man, okay? Now, here we see a little something about Elihu that we need to be some of us need to be careful about. Um, some of us aren't young men anymore. <laughs> some of you, young men, need to be careful about it, and even us older ones as well. And that's this little youthful brashness, youthful pride, you know. I've known, I've been, let me just use myself, I've known some young men like that. But I've been a young man like that, where I just thought I knew the answers. I just thought I had all the answers Although I will say, I, as far as I can remember, Brother Buddy, I never presumed to correct someone who was an elder or pastor or something like that. 
Uh, I've seen young men do that. And we have to be careful about that. I, you know, the, not to get off on preachers tonight, but you know the preachers that I want to put in the pulpit are the ones that don't feel worthy to be here. The young man who shows up in church and says, hey, preach me. Hey, I'm, I'm ready to preach. You need to hear what I have to say. And that's not the one we're going to put in the I'm not, I'm not going to put that one in the pulpit. <laughs> it's going to take a while to work that out of them. But, uh, but we see here a little youthful pride and brashness. He, uh, notice in verse 6, he said, I'm young, you're old, and I was afraid and, and didn't dare to show you my opinion. But, boy, he's wanting to get his opinion out there, isn't he? In verse, uh, verse 10, he says, Therefore I said, hearken to me. I'll show you my opinion, you know. And, and he's, he's got something to say, and he, he thinks it's something that, uh, that they need to hear. Look over in chapter 33, just to, just to kind of skip ahead. He said, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words, you know. I can, I can remember when I was a young preacher, and I thought everybody ought to listen to everything I said. <laughs> Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue hath spoken in my mouth. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. <laughs> you know, I hope that's what happens when I get up here in the pulpit. But if, if it's really happening, I don't have to say it. You know, I don't have to get up here and say, now, I want you to listen to me because I'm telling you clearly. Not like Brother Buddy and not like Brother Tim and these other preachers. I'm telling you clearly. See, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the tenor of his speech here. Now, now. In, which comes to the next fact about him, beginning in verse 8. He was a little bit cocky. He was a little bit lifted up with pride. Notice in verse 8, But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, Hearken to me. I will show mine opinion. Now what he's doing here is he's claiming to be inspired by God. And if he really is, that's fine. That's fine. But you better be very careful about such assertions. And let me, let me clear the air for you tonight. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Anybody today who gets in this pulpit or any other pulpit and says they're inspired by God is not. Okay? I'm not saying they're not influenced by the Lord or led by the Lord. I hope I'm led by the Lord. I hope the burdens, the things that he burdens me to preach, he helps me to preach. I hope I, hope I have things. For, I, I feel like I've heard the Lord speak to me, not audibly, but in, in ways that I feel in my heart, okay? But if I ever get up here and say, I've got an inspired word to tell you that is, is just as true as anything in this Bible, you need to sit me down and correct me, Brother Mackey, and, or, or just run me out of the pulpit, because there is no more inspiration. I've, I've said this many times from this pulpit that uh, if God were to, if he were to speak out of the clouds today, he'd just repeat something he's already said in his Bible. He's given us all we need. So be careful about that. Notice in chapter 33 and verse 6, listen to this. He said, Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. In other words, he is saying that what I'm telling you is if, is if God's speaking it. Now, I want to say to you that it's not as if God's speaking it when I speak it. You know, I, I was, one, of the things that I, one of the things that I do is I edit our sermons, you know, and I go back and that means I've got to go back and listen to myself preach every, every week. I'm telling you, if you knew how many times I bleep something out, edit something out because I spoke it wrong, 
you just say, man, preacher, I didn't realize you were that bad a preacher. <laughs> you know, I, I call, you know, I call Lot Job and Job Lot and say stuff like that. And there's no way to really fix that. But, uh, but you know, I say things all the time that aren't, that aren't right. I can't get up here and say, I'm according. In other words, what he's saying is, you've been asking for God to show up. Well, hey, buddy, I'm here. <laughs> I'm speaking on his behalf. See, now I hope I'm speaking on God's behalf. I'm trying to. But I, as I said, I don't get it right all the time. He was just a little bit prideful. Look over in chapter 36 just for a minute, in verse 1. Elihu also proceeded and said, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. Now listen to this. I will fetch my knowledge from afar and will ascribe righteousness to my Maker, for truly my word shall not be false. He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. In other words, I'm here. I'm Mr. Perfect. I've got perfect knowledge. I'm here, see. And he probably did really believe that he was inspired by God. He probably did. I don't question his sincerity. But oh, what pride that is. What self-righteousness. Back over in chapter 32, we see a little more of this. Beginning. Look down at verse 11. Behold, I waited for your words... I gave ear to your reasons whilst you searched out what to say. In other words, I was sitting over listening to y'all. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job, or that answered his words. Lest ye should say, we have found out wisdom. God thrusteth them down, not man. The best you could come up with is that God's doing this to you, Job, because of some unconfessed secret sin you've got. Now notice verse 14. Now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. They were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking. In other words, he turns on Job and his friends and says, first of all, old age doesn't necessarily bring wisdom. He said, great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment back in verse 9. That, that, that's a very true statement. You know, we think about the wise old sage. But we're told in Proverbs 16 and 31 that the hoary head, that's the gray-haired head, is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. But how many times have we seen, even in our own area here, our state recently, where someone older that should be wiser turns out to be just as foolish as some young man somewhere? You know, we think about David the king. David... We think he was probably, what, 25 or 30 when he had that affair with Bathsheba. There's no way. He was probably in his mid-50s. He was an older king. He was, he'd been king for a while, see. You know, he wasn't some hot-blooded young teenager. He was supposed to be older and wiser. By the way, that ought to teach us a lesson, that I don't care how old we get, we're susceptible to those kinds of temptations. Even the ones that you think have passed in your life, don't, don't, don't let up. Don't, don't let your guard down. And that's what David did. I've said this before that one of my grandmother Springer's statements I'll never forget is there's no fool like an old fool. <laughs> and that's the truth, isn't it? <laughs> that's the truth. And the point he's making here is that old, old age does not necessarily bring wisdom. Now, you know, we always say this, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example to the believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and purity. Okay? 
But notice what he said there, by the way. Let no man despise thy youth, but there's something you need to do to keep people from despising your youth. You need to be pure. You need to be charitable. You need to be faithful. You need to have a good lifestyle. You know, just, be, you know, just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise. Just because you're young doesn't mean you're wise. It all has to do with the way of righteousness. So, so verse 16, he said, When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more, I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion. He could have put it this way. Now it's my turn. Now it's my turn. And I'm here with perfect knowledge. I'm here on behalf of God to tell you what is really so. And look, you can't knock his, his zeal. He was a very, Elihu was very zealous. Look at verse 18. For I am full of matter. And the word matter there could also be pointing us to words. I'm full of I'm full of words. I'm full of the stuff that we're dealing with here, which is words. I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. <laughs> That's a pretty apt description of the zeal of youth, is it not? It's, I've been there, as I said, but I've learned now that it's sometimes better to stay silent. It's better to keep my mouth shut you know, uh, my wife might say, well, when did you learn that? But I have learned it, I promise. <laughs> I promise I have learned it. Uh, don't always exercise it right. But, uh, but look over in James chapter 1 and verse 19. Listen to this. In James chapter 1 and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I, I find it so interesting that he says this, be swift to hear, but then slow to speak, and then the next thing is slow to wrath. I can just speak to my experience. My, unfortunately, my family can verify this. It's rare that I've gone from full stop to wide open in my emotional uh, demeanor you know it's rare that I've just suddenly out of the blue started yelling at my kids you know it's always been a slow build up you know and I found that to be a case with me I, I've experienced that in in my job from time to time that I would if I you know I'd listen but once I started talking it got more and more intense and more and more intense before long I was speaking very loudly very angrily but I didn't start off that way you notice what he said, slow to speak and then slow to wrath? Is the Bible not practical? He's <laughs> kind of saying that the more you talk, the madder you're going to get. And I found that to be true in my life. Don't, don't nod. Y'all quit nodding over there. Everybody's, yeah, amen, daddy. That's right. <laughs> but it's true. And they can verify this. And I'm sure you probably experienced it in your life, too. The times when I've just kept my mouth shut, even, as, even though I was angry. It didn't escalate, you see. It didn't escalate. Be slow to, slow to speak, slow to wrath, because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. See, this is one of Elihu's downfalls, is his wrath, his anger. 2 Timothy 2.24. You can turn there or not. It's up to you, but I can, I'm going to try to quote it. It says, The servant of the Lord must not strive. 
And this is Paul writing to a preacher. You say, well, preacher, surely preachers have got that conquered. <laughs> no, not this preacher. I have not got it conquered. I can tell you it's the easiest thing in the world to strive with someone who's arguing with you over Scripture. That's the easiest thing to do is to get angry at them. I used to have that trouble with dealing with people sometimes. I'd get frustrated. It's like, well, don't you read it here? Can't you just see what it says, you know? But yet he says the servant of the Lord must not strive. And one thing I've tried to do in my ministry uh, over the last 10 years, particularly since I've been here pastoring the church and dealing with people in the community, is I've tried to realize when I'm beginning to strive and just stop, just back out and just leave it alone. And that's the best thing to do. The servant of the Lord must not strive to be gentle to all men. Apt to teach. That means you're willing to take the time to discuss these scriptures and, and able to. You have enough. Look, nobody expects every member of the congregation to be, uh, 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 you know, as on top of it necessarily as the preacher. I mean, I'm not, I get that, 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 that there, there's, there's some expectation that the preacher is, is more into the scripture than you are. But the truth of the matter is, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way. He didn't say preachers be ready to answer any man that asks you of the hope that lies within you. It says, he's, Peter's not writing to preachers over there. He says, he says, uh, you be ready to answer. You, congregation, the strangers scattered abroad, that's everybody. Be ready to answer. Now, I understand you may have to call the preacher. And yes, that's okay. Well, I'll help you. Call me. But be ready to answer. Out to teach. Patient. <laughs> Elihu's not being very patient here. Now, he's, you might say, well, he patiently waited. But once he gets going, he's not going to be patient. In fact, there's going to be a point where He's telling Job to answer him, and he doesn't give Job a chance. <laughs> he just keeps talking. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I think that those verses there will help us to, in fact, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to turn over there. I've been, I think we... We may ought to look at that as we kind of bring this to a close tonight. 2 Timothy 2. But as we get down to verses 25 and 26, we, we find the motivation behind evangelism, I believe, better than anywhere, stated better than anywhere else in the Scripture. Remember what it said, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. By the way, I think that means not just those that are opposed to you, but, you know, every child of God in his heart of hearts wants to know these truths. It's just that the old man covers it up sometimes. So in a sense, they're opposing their very selves. They're being, they're being crossed up with that inside of them, and that sometimes makes them angry. That's sometimes the reason they get mad. Because deep down, they want to know this, and deep down, they really know better. <laughs> but they're just struggling with it, you see. But notice it says, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So the first thing we need to remember is, is it's not our job to make them repent. You can't do it. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, we're told in Romans. It's not your job to make them repent. You can't give them repentance, but God can grant it. So even when, you know, when I start 
talking to somebody about the doctrines of grace that has either been raised differently or has never heard them, then, um, you know, I, as Brother Buddy said this many times, if I could have a five or six step program that would guarantee they'd come to see the truth every time, then we wouldn't have to give God any credit, would we? Right. We just leave it out there and say, here, follow the steps, you'll get there. It's the program that gets them there. Now, don't misunderstand me. We, we, we have the ability to help people convert. We, we, can't, we can't make them born again. We can't, we can't get them regenerated. But if they've been regenerated, they have the capacity to understand the truth. But they've, many of them have been taught something different that you have to unteach. Some of them may, you know, the best people I've ever dealt with in trying to get them to see the truth is the ones that have never heard anything else. <laughs> they've never been taught anything. And, you know, it helps in many ways uh, that we don't have to unteach. But so don't, I'm not speaking of some kind of second new birth that has to occur. The Lord just has to basically give them the new birth initially and then born them again to see the truth. No, once you're born again, we have the ability to help them, to evangelize them, to help them see the truth of grace. But in every case that I've ever experienced, where, where someone that I've been teaching or dealing with comes to see the truth of grace, I can't take the credit for it. I mean, I might, even if I tried, I couldn't take the credit. I said, well, I, yeah, I think, well, no, I didn't do that. The Lord did it. You know, I never dreamed. You know, there are people in this church today that I never dreamed would be here. There are people that have come to this church over the last 11 years that, you know, one of the things I think I may have told y'all, and I, I got this from my brother Tim, is that he made a list of people when he first came back here and became pastor of Bethlehem. He made a list, a long list of people that he thought, that he knew, that he thought would be, you know, might be candidates, might be interested eventually or somebody that might eventually come to Bethlehem. And he prayed over that list. And at one point, he told me over half the people on that list had come to, to Bethlehem. And, and I did the same thing. I made lists, you know. And, and a lot of the people that I prayed over, they're here. But there's a lot of people here that I had never even put on the list. <laughs> one or two I thought of, I said, I may, nah, they'll never come. So I just, you know, and now they're here, you know. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing how God gets the credit if God will grant them repentance, peradventure to the acknowledging of the truth. And now look at verse 26, and we'll sort of bring this to a close, because I want you to remember now, Elihu is very zealous, he's angry, he's got vim and vigor, but it's misplaced. Here's where, here's where the focus needs to be in our evangelism efforts, in our efforts to teach people the, the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I'm afraid sometimes in the past, my approach has been that this verse should have read this way to, 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 to show what I'm really thinking. You know, that we want God, yeah, I'll be glad to give God the you know, credit. God, peradventure, will grant them repentance to acknowledging the truth, and that I may be proven right. You ever had that feeling? You know, I like to be right. I like to be right, and that I may be proven right, so that I might notch my belt one more, with one more conversion in my string of conversions, you see. Notice that's not the focus. That's not the focus. Here's, here's the focus. It's on the people. You know, now look, before, we're not talking about a dead alien sinner out there. 
We're not talking about somebody. You can't make a dead alien sinner alive any more than you can make a dead man alive physically. But those that God has made alive, they're, they're not necessarily here in the church. They're not. In fact, I hope this isn't everybody. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of God's children out there struggling in this world, and they are in the snare of the devil if they don't see the truth of grace. And our goal is that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. We want to, we, my goal in, in evangelism, in evangelizing, yes, I want people to come to this church. I want people to join this church. I want people to be part of this church. But primarily, I want people uh, uh, recovered out of the snare of the devil. Because think about where you and I would be. Maybe some of us have been there. Where we were trying to work our way to heaven. God, you know, that's why Paul had this great zeal for those Jews over there in Romans 10. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the ignorance of the gospel. Saved from, they're out there going about to establish their own righteousness. His heart broke for them. He wasn't just trying to get a bunch of converts over so he can say, look at my, look at my scalps. <laughs> Look at, look at my notches and my belt. No, he knew what they were going through because he himself had been there. And the focus of our evangelism is that they, you know, we want to glorify God first, but that we want them to see how great our God is and that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Well, let's, let's go back over right quick to, to Job and bring this to a close. Notice as we continue here and finish up this chapter, he said, we've seen the zeal, the great zeal he had, verses 18 through 20. Verse 21 and 22, he said, Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man, for I know not to give flattering titles, and so doing my maker would soon take me away. In other words, he's got an admirable goal here, and the goal is, that he would not have his faith with respect of persons. And that'll be our goal too. He's saying, I don't care what you said, I don't care what you said. You know, he's he's too angry, he's too zealous, overzealous, but yet, yet that's a good goal, impartiality. We don't, you know, when we share the gospel, when we try to try to help people see the truth, you know, we don't target the rich. We don't target the high and the mighty. I mean, that's we should share it with them. But it doesn't matter who it is, whoever you run into, whoever you meet, the highest or the lowest in social status or in, 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 in prosperity, we should have no respect of persons. So now, to, to wrap this up, even though his goal is impartiality, his anger gets in the way. And sometimes that's our problem, is it not? Some things he's going to say are very personal. One of the things you'll see is he addresses Job by his first name. A lot. And in those days and in that culture, that would have been considered disrespectful for a young man to do that. But he did it. And now, here's the last point I want to make as we bring this to a close. He has the longest speech in the book of Job. It's chapters 32 through 37. He seems to be the most zealous, the most passionate about what he's saying. But after all his long speech, after all his passion and zeal, when God comes on the scene in chapter 38, he completely ignores everything Elihu said. I want you to 
remember that when we get there. Elihu said some good things. He said some things. He brings, us, he brings some points out that the others had missed. But God completely ignores it. <laughs> I find that interesting. Perhaps his mandate from God wasn't so clear after all. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.